Bible tonight, let's open up to Psalm 63. As today we continue our journey through the Psalms. And I always tell people, if you're going through hard times, read the Psalms. I wonder if there's anyone here going through hard times. A lot of us are, a lot of us know people who are. And, you know, usually when you read a psalm, you're going to see a pattern for the most part. It's, uh, you know, uh, David uh, praying, uh, David describing his circumstances, which are tough. And then usually, I mean, 99% of the time, David at the end of the psalm saying how God did a great work. You know, and so we're going to see that even today in verse 1, it says it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so now you go back uh, to David's time when he was in the wilderness. It was a time of preparation for his coronation, that one day he would be king of Israel. You know, it was a wild time of his life. Think about it, living in the wilderness of Judah, on the road, on the run from King Saul. And it's something that you read in 1 Samuel 21 all the way through 31. And so that was his life. You know, he had been anointed to be king one day. Um, and so he believed it. He received it. He knew God was going to do a great work in his life. But now when Saul wants to kill him, for no reason, we're going to see David's blameless. You know, he has to go through a season, some say about eight years of, of waiting on the Lord, man, and being tested and being prepared. And maybe that's what's going on in your life right now. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness, you know, and it's been a couple of days already and I'm sorry it's been like you know a couple months going on a year two years three years four years and you're wondering what's going on uh, listen if you're God's child you place your faith in Jesus Christ do you believe in him do you believe he died for you do you believe he rose again do you believe his word I mean are you saved if you're his child let me tell you something he began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it and we can we can trust in the Lord you know, so even when you're in the wilderness, God still has a plan. We go through hard times. God will never allow anything to touch us unless it's going to be good for us. Remember that. And so here's David. He wrote this psalm when he's in the wilderness. And notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You know, I, how many of you guys, when you text message, you do OMG? Just curious. Maybe you shouldn't, huh? This is one time when you should. Oh, my God. Right? That's kind of what he says there in verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. And, and you know, when you have a relationship with God, you know, you want to cultivate that fellowship with God and you want to establish even in one sense that ownership of God. You're my God. I'm yours, Lord, but you're mine. And we read that in the Song of Solomon, don't we? The, my beloved is mine. I'm his. And that's so what we see right here. David is this man, Lord, you're my God. Even though I'm in a desert, I'm in the wilderness, I'm in, a, in, in this place that's so dry uh, and, you know, you might think, well, he's thirsty for, for water. No, he's thirsty for the Lord. You know, and you, maybe some of you here, you are. You're like, man, I've been doing the religion thing, but, man, for some reason, I just can't get to that place where it's the Lord. 
You know, and that's what he's saying right here. I, I want God, his soul was thirsting. I don't know why, if you guys knew this or not, this is why we have a, a midweek service, because I want you guys to thirst. It's Thursday, and I thought they're probably thirsting for God, right? No, isn't that how it works? You know, but seriously, you know, um, I, I was thinking of John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she wasn't doing too well. She was trying to fill her heart with a relationship with men. You know, maybe you're here today, a, a, a female, and I guess it works both ways, huh? And you know, your husband, he's not, he's not filling the void, you know, and you're so bummed, you're so disappointed, you have no joy, you have no peace because you're, you're not, you don't got your eyes in the right place. What about God? Do you have God? That's what we're thirsting for. He's who we're thirsting for. The woman at the well, that was the lesson there in John chapter 4. You know, five husbands. Now she's shacking up with some guy. Maybe you're here and you're a single girl and you just can't, you know, you're just like your whole life is honed in on the day that I meet Mr. Right. You know, and you're, you're just going to miss so much along the way. And that man will never fill the void within you. It has to be the Lord. And so that's what you're thirsting for. And right here we see David. I'm in the wilderness, Lord, and I'm, and I'm thirsting for you, God. You know, Jesus answered this woman in John 4. If you read 13 and 14, he, he said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Think about that. You'll never thirst. Your, your thirst will be quenched and satisfied. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, and that's what happens when you have Jesus in your life. We're no longer thirsting for salvation. We, we thirst for sanctification, but no, we, we have what we need now, Right? That relationship is established, and now we just want to cultivate that fellowship with God. And so this is where David is, and it's kind of cool. Did you notice what you read right there in verse 1? Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. You know, and that's where David is. He, he's at that place where he seeks God early. How many of you guys wake up early? I'm just curious. So some of you guys do. How many of those, keep your hand up. How many of you that wake up early like to wake up early? So some of you guys do. Most of you guys are sleepyheads, it looks like right here. You know, um, when you read the Bible, when it talks about doing something early, it talks about you're eager about this. Like, for example, I remember when I used to go snow skiing back in the day before snowboarding. Um, I used to like waking up early. It was cool, you know, because you know you're going to go whatever. You're going to go fishing or whatever. You're going to go to Disneyland. Maybe you wake up early. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like an a anticipation. That, that's kind of what this is teaching. It, it teaches two things. Number one, he wakes up early because he does it eagerly. But, but also looking at this right here, it, it's to be taken literally. There is something about those early morning hours that we need to seize. Okay, some of you guys, you love sleep. You sleep too much, and your spiritual life is suffering. Okay, I think you should probably get, I mean, the Lord knows. You guys know. How many of you here need 10 hours sleep? You're like, yeah, I need 10, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, have you heard Benjamin Franklin? He said, what did he say? Early to bed, early to rise. 
makes a man or woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. There is something about that. He also said the early morning has gold in its mouth. Thomas Jefferson got a lot done, and he said the sun has not caught me in bed in 50 years. Think about that. One person said one key to success is to have lunch at the time of day when most people have breakfast. And then another person said lose an hour in the morning and you will be all day hunting for it. You read Mark chapter 1 verse 35 and you find that Jesus rose before the sun. He rose before the sun and he went and he spent time in prayer with his father. There's something about that. There's something about the Lord and that example that he is. And David, and he says, early, early will I seek you. And I know some of you here, you're nocturnal. You do maybe better at night. And so I will give you that. But for the most part, generally speaking, I mean, I used to have to work at three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I still, I just made it. It was in my heart a priority to wake up early and spend time with God. And I want to encourage you to do that. You know, right here, uh, David writes about his flesh longing for God. And that's not his fallen nature. It's just communicating the fact that he had such a fire, he had such a desire, that it was, a, it was as if his entire being was hungry for God. And so this is where he's at. Notice again in verse 2, we read of David seeking God in, in the sanctuary and most likely in reference to past experiences, how he had gone to the sanctuary. Notice again what he was looking for. Look at verse 2. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see what? To see your power and your glory. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who needs the power of God. I bet you there is, huh? And, and so the Lord's doing a work. He's bringing us to that place where we have to seek him. You know, in Psalm 63 and verse 2, the NIV makes it seem like it's something he did in the past. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And so I'm sure in one sense, David wants to go back to the city, back to the sanctuary, um, back to the tabernacle, but he knows this, that even in the wilderness, he can find God there too. And sometimes in our most difficult times, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like we're talking about David being prepared to be king. And where did God prepare him? In the hard times, right? In the hard times, in the wilderness. I think that was where... You know, he learned to be the, the king that he would one day be. God was doing this lesson. You know, same thing with Moses. You know, 40 years of kind of teaching him things, building them up, and then 40 years of humbling him so that now he could be a servant leader. And so if you find yourself going through hard times, I know for myself, I always had these conversations with God. I said, God, I don't need them. I, I said, God, I, I've got your word, and I'll just obey your word I promise I'll do my best and the Lord says I'm sorry dude but you're a knucklehead and and you need to go through the hard times you need to go through the trials just make sure that when you go through those hard times that you go through them on your knees make sure that when you go through those hard times that you're seeking me and you're examining your own life too you know whenever I go through hard times I always look at my own life and wonder Lord, is there anything in my life that, that needs to change? 
Is there any sin in my life? Or is there any blind spots that I need to surrender to you? And, and, and there always is. There's always something that God is dealing with. But, but he's, he's taken us deeper. And so here's David in the wilderness. And well, I've seen people in jail and in, in prison. Some of our strongest Christians, even in this church, are guys that have done time. Or I, I was reading this article about the underground church in China. And you guys probably know there's a lot of Christians in China. And, and they, you know, it's legal. Christianity is legal. But the government, they, they basically go into the churches and they pervert the message. They uh, distort the gospel. So if you want to be a legal church in China, it's very challenging. And so really what's going on in China is the healthy church is the underground church, literally the underground church. And I was reading this article right here about all these young people that what they do is they come to the table and they caress the Bibles. Because, you know, the Bibles aren't everywhere over there. Sometimes it's hard to get your hands on a Bible. And they caress them and they study every single word as they go through their studies. God is doing a deep work in China. It's hard. This guy that's leading this movement, this particular uh, church movement, he said that when he was in jail, they beat him every day. They beat him and they threatened to kill him every single day. He thought he was going to die. But when he finally did get released, he went back and just kept doing it. You know, and that's a healthy church. You know, when you go through the hard times, sometimes it's in the wilderness and, and God will do a work. And so David, even though he's there, he's longing for God because he knows how good God is. Look at verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. I mean, I love verse 3. Because your loving kindness, your, your love is better than life. Ever thought about that? I mean, what, what's more important to you? Love or life? I think a lot of people just they just want to live. You know, it's just about living. And they've kind of oblivious to the whole concept of loving. And David here is saying that, that the, the loving kindness of God is better than life. I mean, really, at the end of the day, what good is life without love? David says, I'd rather die than live apart from that atmosphere of agape love. I encourage you that your homes would be filled with that atmosphere of agape love. That should, that should be your, your home. That should be our church. You know, the, the atmosphere of agape love, you know? I mean, you know, when we have the, the people that we love, when we have, you know, the, the Lord that we love, it, our heart beats for people to love, a God to love, a God of love. And then when that happens, I think of 1 John 4, 19, it says we love him because he first loved us. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. 
You know, sometimes I think that we think it's, it's religion or we think it's being busy in, in ministry. I mean, that's cool, but are you motivated by love? Do you love people? You know, do you know God's love for you? It'll never change. It'll never fluctuate. And when that sinks in, it changes everything. David knew life is pretty big, but he knew God's love is infinitely bigger. And so he says, Lord, I, I sing, I lift my hands to you, and I know as I bless your holy name that I will be blessed. Now, did you notice in verse 5 that he said, my soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and, and fatness? Now, uh, other translations basically say, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. And so it's not literal food, it's soul food, right? Um, that kind of food. Uh, uh, how many of you here, though, you live to eat? Or do you eat to live? How does it work for you? I'm just curious. How many of you who love food, you know, like, man, after lunch, you're thinking, what am I going to have for dinner, you know? It's like that, huh? But just think if we were like that, like with the Lord. I mean, we're talking about things, David's here, about, about drinking. I thirst for God, Psalm 42. It says, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. You're thirsting, you're hungering. Doesn't the Bible say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. See, and that's what David's talking about right here. You know, um, I, I pray, I was even thinking of that passage in Job 23, 12, where Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so that's a cool verse, but this one goes even beyond that. You know, it, it, David's talking now about his favorite food. What's your favorite food? Just curious. David's saying it's better than that. You know, most people in the world today would rather have a piece of pie than a piece of God. I think sometimes that's the way they live their life. You know, sometimes every once in a while. Now, I don't want to get legalistic on you. But every once in a while, God might say, go home and read your Bible. And what do you do? You go home and you eat a quesadilla, right? And I noticed this. And I don't know about you, but I noticed this. That when you feed the flesh, it just starts dominating. Next thing you know, you turn on the television. Next thing you know, you're in a fight with your wife. And it's all because God said, feed the inner man. And a lot of times we won't listen. You know, David here is kind of cool because he starts in the morning and then he goes to the evening. Look at verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, it's so important that we uh, don't let those thoughts of God fly in and out. You know, because we can do that. You can go to a Bible study, maybe you write down a verse, or maybe there's something you heard that you like, but you don't capture it. You don't meditate on it. You don't think on it. That's what David is saying right here. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. I mean, he captured them with good and co godly contemplation and, and meditation. He focused on the Lord. 
You know, do you, do you ever do that? And again, this is me, now that I'm, you know, 26 years old, I'm learning through life that, because um, I told you guys already, I'm a morning person. I, I love mornings. I, I wake up early. At night, you can ask my family, I have a hard time. I really do. You know, so a lot of times, um, many times the Lord has shown me, okay, go to bed a, a little early before you, like, have zero energy. Go to bed and just sit on your bed and just read some psalms. Think on the Lord. You start the day off right, maybe end the day off right. You got things going on in between as well, but that's what David is doing right here. He was, he was focusing on the Lord. We read his morning with the Lord. Now he read his evening with the Lord. And the reason is, notice again, he says, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. God God has, where would you be? Where would we be without the Lord right now? I mean, we don't realize it, but it's almost as if Satan is like this demon that just, he's just, he's just man waiting for God's hedge of protection to come down so he can come <coughs> after you. And God is always protecting you. God is always helping us. Every day he carries us. Every day he sustains us. So that's why he, David said, you deserve this, Lord. I mean, I wake up in the morning, and I'm going to seek you. When I go to bed at night, I'm going to think about you. God had been his help, and I thought it was interesting how it says right there, he rejoiced in the shadow of God's wings. Now, more than likely, this is in reference probably just a, a general description of his protection, but there are some teachers who think that what he's pointing to right here is the tabernacle. And if you were to look at the Ark of the Covenant that would go into the Holy of Holies, then you would find the tabernacle, and it was all gold, and it had these two cherubim with their wings that were pointing towards the, the middle of the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the mercy seat was. And I think we have a picture here. So the high priest would go into this most holy place once a year. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but he would go with the sacrifice of the lamb and he would sprinkle the blood right there, right in the middle of that Ark of the Covenant, right underneath the, the, the wings of the cherubim. And so it's interesting when you read that right there, because there's two things that that teaches. Number one, that's where we're forgiven. And, and, and that's where we meet with God. And then number two, the Ark of the Covenant is also seen in the Bible as the throne of God. And so it's interesting where he says that, that he rejoiced in the shadow uh, of God's wings. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but man, what a reason to rejoice on huh? that we're forgiven, that, 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 that the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washes away our sins and that he's on the throne. And I don't know about you, but when I think of that, I just think, man, Lord, this is reason to rejoice. This is reason, like we read there in verse 8, to follow closely behind him. My soul follows close behind you. You know, and as you guys have that heart, you know, to seek the Lord, he's going to do such a good work. You don't want to be like Peter, who remember he followed at a distance. And as a result of that, he ended up denying the Lord. 
And so David knew, he, you know, it's kind of cool looking at this whole thing, even though he's going through hard times, he knew he would prevail. Let me ask you a question tonight. You who are going through hard times, do you know you will prevail? Because when David wrote this, he was in the wilderness. When David wrote this, it did not look good. But David had faith in God. And I want to encourage you, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, that, that you would know as, as God's son, as God's daughter, that you will prevail. Notice in verse 9, but, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. In other words, they're going to get eaten by dogs. But the king, notice this, it's interesting. In my Bible, I circled it, the king. Wait a minute, David, you're in the wilderness. Yeah, but I, I got the promise that one day this is what God's going to do in my life. He says, the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him, speaking of God, shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. And also in my Bible, I highlighted it green because green is a prophecy. Green is a prediction. I already know what's going to happen. I'm not there yet, but I already know God's going to get those guys. God's going to deal with Saul and all those guys who are on his team. God's going to get them, and God will do what he's promised to do with me. David knew his enemies and his persecutors would perish. And Saul did die, right? He fell by the sword and all who came against him. You know, it's interesting, even when we read in verse 9, that they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. That's not the Grand Canyon, just in case you're wondering. It's hell. David knew these guys are going to go to hell. Numbers chapter 16, verse 30 through 32, talks about Korah's rebellion and how when they got found out, the earth opened up and swallowed them alive and they went into the pit. It's that place called hell. And one day, there's going to be that resurrection of the unjust and they're going to go and stand before God in Revelation chapter 20 and hell and all those in it will be cast into the lake of fire. So, so all I'm saying is that you know, when you read this right here, we know the end of the story. And one day, justice will prevail and every wrong will be made right. And we rejoice in that. You know, Psalm uh, 138.8 is a great verse. I, I pray you guys would know. It says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. See, there's that, that promise. The Lord has plans for your life. I don't know what it is, but I know it's good, and you don't have to worry. Uh, Philippians 1.6 is the New Testament version. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I just love that promise, you guys. God's not like us. Uh, have you guys ever started a book and not finished it? Start a project at home, not finished it. Um, God's not like that. He, he started a work in you. Think about that. God started a work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it. David was confident because David was loved, and he knew he was loved. 
As a matter of fact, did you guys know David's name means beloved? You guys knew that or no? Did you guys know that? Some of you did. Most of you guys are not awake, but it's okay. I still love you. Psalm 64. Let's do this real quick. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. Now again, David is approaching it uh, through prayer. He asks God there in verse 1, to hear his voice. And he prays for preservation, uh, for protection from the enemy. And again, I don't know if it was Saul or Absalom, but more than likely is one of those guys. And he is in a war. I mean, in one sense, you've got soldiers coming after him. But, but even though it's a war, he doesn't see it as a physical war. He sees it for what it is a spiritual war. It's not Saul, it's Satan. It's not Absalom, it's Apollyon. He's the destroyer. And so, you know, when you look at this right here, what language does the devil talk? Do you guys know what language he speaks? What's the language of Lucifer? It's lies, right? And that's what they were doing right here. They were telling lies. It was some type of perverted propaganda that David was, you know, doing this against Saul or whatever the case may be, even though he was blameless. And at the end of the day, you know, the devil was determined to take David down. And he had a secret plan. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are, are cognizant of this, but I think that for all of us here, the devil has a plan. I think for this church, the devil has a plan. You know, every once in a while, God will kind of remove the, the veil, and he shows you. And recently, God showed me the devil had a plan. The devil had a big plan, a big plan. He wanted to destroy our church. He wanted to destroy people. And that's the, we got to see it for what it is. And if we don't see it, that it's the devil, that these are demons that we're fighting, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. If we don't see it for what it is, then we might not, you know, f realize that we have got we got to fight this with spiritual weapons. You know, the the Bible talks about this in Ephesians six ten through eleven. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, and put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles, uh, the dictionary defines it as devious or cunning strategies employed in manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. Uh, it's a scheme of Satan, and this is where we are. We're fighting this battle, and Satan is scheming. Satan is strategizing. Satan is, you know, the wily, you know, coyote. You guys remember him in Roadrunner, that type of thing? Something going on all the time. You know, we have to make sure that we understand that it's not a it's not a playground. It's a battleground. 
You know, are you serious in your relationship with God? You know, because it is a war. We have to understand that. You know, we have to make sure that we know that Satan is trying to sink the ship. You know, he'll come after that one right there in the family. And then he'll try to take the whole family down. You know, he'll come after that one right there in the church. And next thing you know, that ministry or he tries to sink the ship. That's the battle we're in. And so if David wanted to, he could have, he could have. I mean, this is David. He's the guy that killed Goliath. This is David. He went, I mean, he took care of the Philistines. He could fight like no man fought. Why didn't he fight like that? Because he knew it wasn't a physical war. It was a spiritual war. And so what did he do? We've been seeing it all through every single psalm. He prayed. He prayed. And he praised. And, and when he sang these songs, he, he sung them by faith and he sung them to the Lord. And I was even thinking today while we were worshiping, how many people are really worshiping? How many people are really singing to God? I visualize like here's God's throne and and I, I was thinking about how sometimes we can get distracted. We're thinking about other things. And there's God's throne, and we're supposed to be singing to him, and some people are singing like this. And I was like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be singing to God. You're supposed to be singing by faith. But a lot of times, we're not focused, and I don't know, you got your eyes open, and you're, hey, is so-and-so here? You're supposed to meet up with him in and out afterwards, you know? And I mean, we get so distracted. David teaches us in the Psalms, this is how we do it. We pray and we praise. And we do it by faith. You know, I, David wanted to. He could have easily stepped out in the flesh and got physical. The last time I read my Bible, he's a pretty good soldier, right? If David wanted to, he could communicate. He could say, he could defend himself. The last time I read my Bible, he's a pretty good communicator. But he didn't even do that. He didn't even talk his way out of it. He just prayed, and he told God on those who opposed him. Look at verse 5. They encouraged themselves, God, in an evil manner. They, they talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. And so David is praying, and now he's talking about these guys to God, and he's saying, God, these guys, they have conversations about this evil that they want to do. I mean, can you imagine encouraging someone to do evil? They're not ashamed of it whatsoever. They talk about how they will secretly ensnare souls. That's what's going on. And, you know, you think of all the evil that's going on in the world today, all the rape, the incest, the violence, the murder for money, even in families. I saw a story the other day about a man who hired one of his workers to kill his wife. And uh, he was supposed to kill his wife. And then after he killed his wife, they were supposed to burn the house down. And so the guy came in and with something like a bat, he beat her to death in front of her, her children. How could a husband talk about doing such evil to his family? What, for $10,000? That was, the, I mean, it's just crazy. I saw 
another story about four developmentally disabled adults who were chained like animals and forced to live in the basement by two men and a lady who were living off their disability checks. And then there's another story of the, this, I don't know if you guys heard it, the sex trafficking ring in Connecticut recently uncovered dozens of victims shamed and addicted and forcibly made to render sexual services since 1990. Close to 30 years. You know, you guys probably heard about the 79 children who were kidnapped from a Christian school in Cameroon. I mean, just that that even happened. I mean, they, they talked about this stuff. That's what David is saying. The evil that they were doing, they, they talked about this. They encouraged each other in these things. And, and you wonder, how can it happen? And you look there at the end of verse 6, it says the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. And you mean, what do you mean deep? I mean deep in the pit, deep, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? People come to church and they're living in sin. I mean, just straight out sin. You know, when will they learn that their sin will find them out, that God will expose them, that you can't mock God? But we see it. How does it happen? If you go back to Psalm 63 in verse 9, remember what we read right there? They, they shall go unto the lower parts of the earth. I mean, that's, I think, what we see right here. The, the heart of man is deep in that pit. You know, but the cool thing is that is that even though all those things happened to David, it could not stop God's work, huh? I'm just so grateful, and I hope you guys know that one day justice will be served. And so we read in verse 7, but, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they, they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue, and all who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and, and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. And what David is kind of saying right here, of course, we know is that God is, is going to deal with Saul and everybody will see it. All the people who were maybe there kind of believing him but not really knowing what's going on, they would flee away from Saul. Um, the righteous would see it and rejoice. We would look at it now in just seeing the whole story and we see that even though we're going to go through trials, you know, for years maybe, that if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we don't lose heart. He's going to do that work. You know, and, and it brings us to that place that we read right there in verse 10, that we trust in him. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and we'll close with a, a few things. We have the musicians come, come forward. Uh, a few things the Lord showed me this week, and I, and I wrote them down yesterday, because as we go through life, you know, the enemy tries to strike fear into our hearts, but we don't have to be afraid. So number one, don't cower into it. Power into it. Okay, so I'm going to do some rhymes right here. Are you guys okay with that? We're going to close with that. 
You know, you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. You know, I go through things, and, and I know the first thing the enemy wants to do is discourage me. And the Lord showed me you can't be discouraged. With the trial that you're facing requires courage. So you don't cower into it. No, let's power into it with God's love. Secondly, we won't be able to figure it out, but God is able to work it out for good. Because I don't know about you, but I rack my brain around things. I'm like, how, how could this be? How could it happen? What, what, how in the world are you going to do this, Lord? And the Lord just says, don't worry. You can't figure it out. It's a piece that surpasses understanding. Just know that I'm going to work it out. And then the, the third thing is sometimes we get hit hard, and all we want to do is just slow down in how we serve the Lord or even shut down. But God wants us to fall down on our knees. It's time to pray. And I get those thoughts. I don't know if you ever get those thoughts where like, you know what? Maybe I should just kind of back off. Maybe I should just stop. I feel like slowing down. I feel like shutting down sometimes. And God says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You got to get on your knees and you have to pray. I know one thing, man, that I cannot defeat these demons. I can't. I'm not smart enough. I can't. I have nothing, nothing, but I do have the Lord. And so do you. You know, I pray that you guys would go deep in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, David is not just a picture of Christians who are loved by God. He's also a picture of Christ. He died for you. He rose again. And I pray you guys would draw near to him.